Well, good morning, IC. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. If you are new here with us this Sunday, welcome. Uh, if you're visiting, we're glad to have you here. You're joining us when we're in the midst of a series on a short little book called Philippians. It's in the New Testament. It's only four chapters long, and it's written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing a thank you note. It's a thank you note to a church that is perhaps his best church that he ever started, a church that he had a deep affection and a deep love for. Yet even as he's writing this thank you note, it's not a perfect church. Know this, no perfect church exists because there aren't perfect people. And when you gather a group of sinful, redeemed people together, there's sometimes going to be struggles. And this church in Philippi has some struggles. They struggle with unity, and Paul is going to address that later on in the book. Another major thing that Paul will talk about in this book, he'll talk about his imprisonment and joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. You see, you're going to hear this over and over again in this book, the idea of joy. You see, for the Christian, joy is available to every single one of us because our joy is not tied to our circumstances. Our joy is tied to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And He's not going anywhere. It's secure. Hallelujah. But I'll tell you this about joy. It's often fragile. You see, when we hit difficult spots in life, maybe financial difficulties, maybe a job difficulty, maybe a, a relational difficulty. When we hit those hard spots in life, we often, instead of turning and trusting in Christ in the midst of difficulty, often it's our joy that's the first thing that's robbed of us. And if you're here today, and walking in the joy of Christ is not something that you taste very often, that you experience very regularly, I would encourage you, Examine your heart. There may be sin, most likely is sin in your life that you've been ignoring. That maybe it's become normalized. Maybe it's become acceptable. Maybe you just think it's just who I am. You see, sin quickly robs us of our joy. And one of the greatest gifts that Jesus Christ gives to his people is the gift of joy. It's not some fleeting happiness. It doesn't mean we walk around smiling all the time necessarily. It means that we have a deep abiding joy in the Lord. And that's what he's talking to throughout this book. You see, Scripture never hides that in this world, Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 33, in this world you will have troubles. That's a promise. But take heart. Because Jesus has overcome the world. And we can have joy and delight in that. We can rest in that. Well, we've covered 11 verses so far in this book. And in the first 11 verses, we see Paul introduce himself and gives thanks to the church and expresses a love for them. And then last week, we saw him pray for that church. Well, today, we're going to see Paul report on his present situation. And in the midst of reporting on this, we can see four challenges that Paul has joy in the midst of. First, we're going to see in verses four, uh, 12 through 14 that Paul has joy even in trouble. We're going to have trouble in this life, and Paul's going to have joy even in the midst of trouble because the gospel is advancing. 
In verses 15 through 18, we're going to see that he's going to joy even with critics. Why? Because Christ is proclaimed. In verses uh, 19 through 21, we're going to see that he has joy even in death, even in the face of death, because the Lord is glorified. And finally today, in verses 23 through 26, we're going to see joy even living in this fallen flesh because the church is benefited. Paul has joy regardless of his circumstances because his joy is based on Christ. Well, if you would stand, please. We're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. I want to always encourage you, bring your Bibles. I know they're easy to forget, and sometimes you may not make it here. We put it on the screen for two reasons. To help you if you forget, and secondly, so you can know where we are. If you ever look and wonder where we are in the passage, you can always look on the screen. So hear the word of our Lord. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are far more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, e it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress in faith in Christ, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, in our passage today, we see Paul start off and he's speaking of having joy even in the midst of trouble. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me now that should cause us to pause. What is it that has happened to Paul? Well, Paul's been in prison in many cities where he started churches. Paul at one point was stoned and left for dead. Paul, there was a plot to kill Paul, and Paul went to Caesarea, appealed to Caesar, and was in Caesarea in prison for two years. He was put on a prison ship 
to go to Rome. That ship was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And now Paul finds himself in prison. He finds himself in prison, chained to an imperial guard. Paul's saying, what has happened to me? The difficulties, the challenges, the pains that I've gone through, they have had a purpose, and that purpose is to advance the gospel. Paul's purpose in life is evangelism and discipleship, and he says that the difficulties I've encountered have moved forward the gospel. They've advanced the gospel, and people are growing in their faith. And because of that, Paul can be okay in difficult situations. There's many of us, we're here in difficult situations. You see, we're all going to face difficulty, that's for sure. But in the midst of them, do we taste the joy of Jesus? In the midst of our difficult situations where we're not understanding what's going on, can we rest in Him? You see, Paul had long desired to go to Rome. You read the book of Romans, and Paul is saying, I want to come see you. That's my desire. Why? Because Rome is the center of the action. At that time, the world flowed out of Rome. Rome was the powerful nation, this powerful city, this powerful nation, and he wanted to go to the capital, the city of Rome. And I imagine Paul had visions of going to Rome. I imagine he thought when he got there, he would go to the synagogue and preach in the synagogue like he always does. And then he would gather a small group of followers, and then he would go preach in the houses of debate and continue to gather followers, and continue to build the church in Rome, and to strengthen the church in Rome, and to strengthen the believers, and continue to build them up. I don't think Paul's plan was to go to Rome as a prisoner. You see, sometimes our heart ambitions and what God wants to do in our lives, He does it in a way very different from what we might desire. None of us would desire to go to prison like Paul is, but that's where he finds himself, and Paul is gladly willing to suffer. You see, you really love something and really value something when you're willing to suffer for it. Parents will easily suffer for their children. An athlete will suffer for a reef that will perish. They'll train and they'll suffer. Why? Because it has value and worth to them. They desire it. And Paul, he loves Christ. He desires Christ. That's his main value. And he says, I'm willing to suffer for the advance of the gospel. Paul here is not complaining. He's just simply stating his perspective. It's the advance of the gospel. Now, in verse 13, we're going to see two places in verse 13 that the gospel is advancing. First, outside the church. Look at this. He says, It's become known through the whole imperial guard and the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard, they were called often the Praetorian guard. There was, he says, all of them, the whole imperial guard has heard of Paul. There's 9,000 of these imperial guards. And these imperial guards, they had a special job. They were known as kingmakers. They were the most powerful soldiers in Rome. They were more powerful than the Roman Senate. If you wanted a Caesar gone, the imperial guard got rid of him. If you wanted a new Caesar, the imperial guard put him in their place. They were the most powerful group of soldiers in all of Rome. And guess what? 24-7, Paul has an imperial guard chained to him. Every four to six hours, he gets a new guy sitting beside him. 
Paul has absolutely no privacy. When he eats, when he sleeps, when he has visitors, there's always an imperial guard there. And these imperial guards not only heard what Paul taught, they didn't just hear Paul preach, they saw how Paul acted. They saw his compassion, his love, his patience, his tenderness. They watched Paul, they observed Paul. And many of these imperial guards came to Christ. This was God's plan here. He had Paul put in prison, and Paul, who wanted to go advance the church in Rome, God chose the most strategic way to do it, put him to the most influential people, chained, where they have nowhere to go. And because these guards not only saw Paul's life and heard his message, they were transformed. And it became known to many others of why Paul was in prison and what he was going through. God often works in people's lives in ways that we wouldn't expect, ways that we wouldn't draw up. If we were to map out our life and in faithful obedience, God often takes those who trust and depend on Him and takes them in a different direction. I think of John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a preacher in the 1600s, and he preached the gospel message boldly, but he lived in a day and time when if you didn't preach in the established church, you were arrested and thrown in prison, and they threw John Bunyan in prison for 12 years. And every day he would come out in the courtyard of the prison, and he would preach the gospel, and crowds would gather outside the prison gates to hear John Bunyan preach. Finally, the city leadership became so upset with John Bunyan's preaching that they moved him into the deepest recesses of the prison and would not let him out. And it was during that time that he wrote the most influential allegorical Christian fiction ever written called A Pilgrim's Progress, a bestseller, a book that they're still making uh, movies about, that people still read it today, and God put him in prison, and his most significant, long-lasting work happened behind bars. You see, sometimes when we think God is doing something, he may be doing something very different. Sometimes when we think we're in a tough situation, he may want to work in us in a unique way. That's what he does in Paul. That's what he did in John Bunyan here working in and through him. So the gospel is advancing outside the church with the Praetorian Guard into Rome. And get this, by the end of the first century, there will be more than 50,000 Christians in Rome. So God used Paul very powerfully there while in prison. In verse 14, we're going to see that the gospel is advancing inside the church. You see, we often think of gospel advancement outside the church, but the gospel needs advance in the church with God's people. Listen to how it happens in verse 14. Most of the brothers, that word brothers tells us that they're Christians, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak without fear. I'll say this over and over again, Christians, we need one another. You're not designed to live the Christian life by yourself. You need other Christians who encourage you, who inspire you, who you can look to their faith and say, look at how they're running, I can do it too. We need role models. We need people who look to the left and to the right and say, look how they're running faithfully, I can. And people are becoming bold because of Paul. Paul is in prison, the imperial guards hearing the gospel, they're spreading it to others, and now those within the church are saying, Paul is in prison for the defense of the gospel, they're becoming emboldened to share their faith. 
You see, it's often things that we think would slow the gospel spread that actually do the opposite. The event in the last hundred years that has inspired more Christians to move to the mission field than any other is when a group of five young men, all of them between the ages of 25 and 33, would go to the mission field in Ecuador and wanted to reach the most difficult to reach people group in that country, a group of Alka natives. They were known for their murderous ways. They killed anyone who came in contact with them. And these five young men, for months, they would take them gifts, they would reach out to them, and finally, in January 1956, these young men landed their plane in Alka territory to share the gospel. And they came back for a few days, and on January 9th, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, and Pete Fleming all died with spears in their back, seeking to take the gospel to an unreached people group. All the magazines and media flocked to this area, and they, rec and they recorded these events. And Life Magazine, the most famous magazine at, uh, in that day and time, recorded this as a great tragedy. That these five young men, all of them married, four of them with children, would throw their lives away in such a foolish way. And one of those young men, his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, wrote back to Life Magazine. She said, this is no tragedy. This isn't a tragedy. No, this is, this is the work of God. She said, and she quoted her husband Jim Elliott's uh, diary where he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And within the next couple of years, Elizabeth Elliott, Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint, and Elizabeth Elliott's daughter and a young Alka girl who had escaped and taught them the language, they went back to the Alkas and they received them and they shared the gospel with them. And today, among the Alka tribe, it's rare to find a person who does not follow Jesus Christ. These men laid down their lives, but it's no tragedy. And that event would inspire more people to go to the mission field than any other event in the last hundred years because people said, Jesus is worthy. He's worth it. He's worth our lives. There's something worth pouring our lives out for, and that's the glory of Jesus Christ. And people flock to the mission field to lay their lives down for the glory of Jesus Christ. See, so often we think life is about trying to be as comfortable as possible. That's just a sure way to a quick death. No, we live for the glory of God. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenges. And here Paul is saying, there are those who are bold to speak the gospel because I'm in prison. And Paul says, I'm okay with that. Brothers and sisters, when you go through challenges, realize you're giving a testimony to the body of Christ. Others are watching. They're seeing how you're going through it, and you can enliven the body of Christ to stay faithful in the midst of difficulties through your testimony. We encourage one another.
In verse 15, we're going to see him talk about joy even with critics. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry and others from goodwill. So here, there's two groups of people. There's those who preach Christ from goodwill and those who preach Christ from envy. He says, those from goodwill, they do it knowing that Paul has been put in prison for the defense of the gospel. But others, they're preaching out of rivalry. They're not sincere. They want to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. They want to say, Paul's in prison because he's been disobedient. Look at Paul. And they want to build their own fame and own name. Now notice this. Paul is not going to be upset with those who are preaching the gospel out of false motives. Because here's what's going on. These people are preaching out of false motives, but they're not preaching a false gospel. And know there's a big difference. Some preach the gospel out of false motives. There's people and there's a temptation with every follower of Christ to preach the gospel for your own self-glory, for your own name, for your own fame, for whatever it is. There's always a temptation in every minister of the gospel with that. And some greatly succumb to that. But that's very different than preaching a false gospel. Oh, in the book of Galatians, Paul is angry. He is fired up. Why? It's Paul's angriest letter because somebody says, this is the gospel and it's not. We don't preach false gospels. No, the one true gospel is that Jesus died for our sins to reconcile us to God Almighty. We were hopeless with that, without that. And Jesus didn't die to give us our best life now, to make life as easy as possible for us, to give you health, wealth, and earthly prosperity. That's not why he died. Those things may come for some, they may not come for others. He didn't die for that. He died to reconcile you to God the Father. And when we teach anything other than that, we're teaching a gospel that is off base. We proclaim the one true gospel that Jesus died to reconcile us to the Father, and life is often going to have persecutions and difficulties. The Bible doesn't teach that life is meant to be easy here on this side of eternity. We live in a broken, fallen world, and life's going to have its challenges. I heard one false teacher say one time that Jesus didn't like it here, and he didn't like being poor, so that's why he left. That's a false gospel. That's an affront to the gospel. That's a tragedy. No, Jesus died for our sins to reconcile humanity back to God, and that's glorious, wonderful news. And brother and sister, when you hear anything other than that proclaimed as the gospel, we should mourn and we should grieve. In the name of Jesus Christ, with great love, we should say that is not right. But when it comes to somebody preaching out of false motives, that doesn't bother Paul too much. I don't think he liked it. But he said, hey, the true gospel is being proclaimed because here's what's most important. It's not the messenger, it's the message. The messenger has no power. The message does. The message of the gospel does its work. Now the messenger, I'm not going to say the messenger is unimportant, but far more important than the messenger is the message. That's why we proclaim the truth of the gospel. And Paul says, the message is going forth, the true message. See, in verse 18 he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. 
And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He's emphatic that he will rejoice about this. You know, in the Old Testament, we get an example of someone who preaches the message of God out of false motives. It's a story of a man who was called to go to a difficult city called Nineveh, and he didn't want to go there. He said, I won't go there. And God said, yes, you will. And he went and preached in Nineveh. And then when they all repented, he went and wept outside the city because they repented. You see, the power wasn't in Jonah. Jonah didn't want to preach. The power was in the message. And the message did its work. And the message accomplished the purpose. So God can take a messenger who has false motives, but has a true message, the truth of Christ. And because it's the truth, God can use it. There's some of you here today that you heard the gospel, the true gospel, from someone who later may have walked away from the faith, denied the faith, and that was hard for you. But remember, it's not the messenger that's true, it's the message. That's what he'll do. And that's why Paul can rejoice. He says he will rejoice. He's going to rejoice. In this. He's emphatic. He says it. Yes, I will rejoice. He's making it clear. I'm going to rejoice when the gospel goes forth. And again, this book's going to say joy over and over again. Simple little acronym I want to give you for remembering the keys to joy. It's simple. It's easy. But for me, sometimes the most powerful things are the simplest. Joy, Jesus. Keep Jesus first. Above all else, oh, others, keep them second. Why yourself? Jesus, J, others, O, U, Y. You keep life in that order, and you're going to taste the joy that Jesus has for you. You keep him preeminent. You keep him at the, the forefront. And that's what Paul's saying. Jesus is at his forefront, and he will rejoice. Sure, there's people out there preaching for false motives, but Paul knows they're preaching a true message, and if they're preaching it, they're not going to experience the joy and what they long for if they're preaching with bad motives. God will take care of that. In verse 19, he's going to begin to speak of joy even in the face of death. Verse 19, he says, For I know, that word know in the Greek is certain, He's certain of this. He knows for sure this is going to happen through the prayers and the help of the Spirit with Jesus Christ. This will turn out for my deliverance. That word deliverance is speaking of salvation. Paul knows he is saved. He knows he's secure in Christ. This is uh, the same uh, verse that's used in Job 13, 16, where Job says, this will work out for my salvation. He's okay. Paul knows that his ultimate deliverance is in Christ. And in verse 20 he says, It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. Again, that word hope is not some fleeting hope, it's an assured hope. And when he says ashamed, that has the idea of a deity letting you down. You see, all the false gods always let us down. You see, we look at our lives and we think, uh, we don't worship false gods, but we rush to different things for comfort and for ease, and for security. It's easy to have false gods that aren't little statues, but they may be something else. 
And here he says, those false gods, they're going to let you down and you'll be ashamed that you placed any hope in them. But you'll never be ashamed that you placed your hope in Christ. He will never let you down. He will work and labor and he secured your salvation and your salvation is secure in him. It, you're going to be delivered. And in verse 21, he says what may be the most famous verse in this book, certainly one of the most powerful he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Actually, in the Greek, there's no verbs. So this verse can more accurately be translated, to live, Christ, to die, gain. That's how Paul looked at it. If he's going to live, it's going to be all about Jesus. If he's going to die, it's gain, because he'd rather be with Jesus than be here. As long as Paul's here, he's going to live for Christ. This should be the heart cry of every believer. And I'll confess to you, I'm not there yet. Oh, I want to live for Christ. And I believe dying is gain. But Paul was eagerly longing to go be with Christ. You see, that's what heaven is. Heaven is being with Christ. And if you don't want to be with Christ now, you're not going to want to be with Him for eternity. He wants to be with Christ. It's gain to be with Christ. You see, the Christian life is always about death. Sin brought death into this world. And to walk as a Christian, we taste death over and over again. Hopes and dreams may die as God gives us something even more amazing than we could ever imagine. Our securities, they may die. There's things that we're continually going to have to allow to die in our lives. The Christian life is about waking up and laying your life on the altar, saying, I lay my life down, my life is dead, I'm going to live for Christ. And that's a daily thing. It's not a one-time thing. You don't die once. Your body wants to get up off the altar and keep walking. So you have to come and lay your life down day after day after day in order to live for the glory of God. Or people who and since they're living in the valley of the shadow of death, allowing our lives to die so that Christ can shine through us. There's some hopes and dreams you may have, and Christ wants to change those. You see, in marriage, what's the key to marriage? This guy dies. You look at yourself in marriage. Why is your marriage struggling? Don't look to anybody else. Look to yourself and say, I've got to die. Lay my life down for another person. Lay your life down for your children. Lay your life down for the people you work with. It's always about death and we don't die easily. Single people, sometimes in the single years you fall in love with marriage. The idea of marriage. And it's a good desire. But if you don't love Jesus more than you love marriage, you're going to be heading to a troublesome spot. You let your love of marriage and that die and say, I'm going to follow Christ and live for him and let him take care of that. We trust Christ in the midst of everything. And we allow the hopes and dreams we have, we hold them loosely. Christ, if you want to take these and change these, you can. And Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's gain. And he goes on to explain what that looks like in verse 22. He says, if I'm going to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor. 
As long as I'm here on this earth, I'm going to labor. This is Paul's goal. He wants to finish well. There's no retirement in the Christian life. There's no, hey, I'm going to retire because as long as I'm here, I've got work to do. I've got labor to do. I may move slower. I may not have as much energy. But Lord willing, I'll be closer to Him and know Him better. And He can use me through His power even more effectively. Paul says he's going to labor fruitfully. That's his desire. He says he doesn't know which to choose. Well, Paul didn't really get to choose, but he's saying, I don't know if I'd rather choose death or fruitful labor here. He says, I would rather go be with Christ. You know, that's how God makes our lives as we get older. A Christian who's been walking with the Lord for a long time, their desire to be in eternity with Jesus just increases throughout life. As loved ones go ahead of us, as more of our heart and our life is found in eternity, we desire to go and be with Christ more and more and more, and that's the way the Christian life is to be. As you get older, we don't fear death more. We look forward to it. Christ, we're going to be with Him. Oh, death, where is your sting? Now again, I'll tell you, I'm not there. Like so many, Lord, give me my 80, 90 years here on this earth and make them good. But that's not guaranteed. Oh, we, we desire for Christ. That's what He wants. And He says here in verse 14, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Paul says, I want to go be with Christ, but God wants me to be here for you. Now, we don't, Paul in these verses is saying, it seems like he's certain he's going to get out of jail. We don't know for certain he did, but most people believe Paul got out of prison and that he, it's highly likely that he visited the church in Philippi again. We don't know that for certain, but Paul here certainly is convinced that he's going to go and see them, that that may be God's will. See in verse 25, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. If Paul's going to be on this earth, he's going to be helping others grow in their faith. Brother and sister in Christ, that's one of the most joyous things you can do is help another brother or sister grow in their faith. We often call that discipleship as you invest in a Christian and help them mature and grow in their faith, and there's great joy in that. And Paul is going to labor. Paul is continually discipling, continually investing. And here he says, why in verse 26? He says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. In Paul, you're going to glory in Jesus Christ because, I, because of my coming to you again. Everything Paul does is for the glory of Christ. That's how he lived his life. Church, I pray that's how we'll live our lives. Oh, the enemy wants to distract you. He wants to get you in on a self-pity party. Woe is me. My life's so hard. Things aren't fair. And I'm not saying your life's not hard. I'm just saying, in Christ, we can have joy even in the midst of the difficulty. A few years ago, I was invited to speak to an admissions uh, leadership group. They were the leaders of a particular mission organization called Christian Missions in Many Lands. I worked with a woman who had grown up as a part of that mission agency in Columbia as a missionary kid, and uh, we had received the invitation to go speak. And when I first got there, they put me in a house staying with a man who was in his 60s who had grown up on the mission field in apartheid South Africa. 
And he shared stories of, of South Africa and life in Africa and growing up here on the mission field and, and of his family and all that they had experienced. And then he said to me, he said, hey, tomorrow after you speak, I'd like for you to meet my dad. His dad's in his mid-90s. And he said, my dad will be at the office. He still comes into the office every single day. So the next day I, I spoke and afterwards I, I met this elderly man in his mid-90s, bright-eyed, sitting in front of a computer in a cubicle in this office, typing Bible studies. He's writing these Bible studies that go out to people all over the world with the mission agency. Faithful. And above his desk hung a picture. And it was a picture of this tribal-looking man. And I just asked him, I said, I said, who is that? He said, that's the man who killed my little brother. You see, this man's little brother died on a beach in Ecuador in 1956 with a spear in his back. His little brother died at age 27, seeking to take the gospel to the Alka Indians. His little brother died 65 years before him. His little brother, Pete Fleming, was with the Lord, and yet Ken Fleming, the older brother, in his mid-90s, some 65 years after the passing of his little brother, is still faithfully laboring for the gospel, faithfully writing Bible studies sent out all over the world to be used by their mission agency. That's what it means. To live as Christ, to die as gain. His brother died at 27. He's 95, waiting to go be with the Lord and see his little brother again. I don't know how long the Lord's going to give you. I don't know how long he's going to give me. I don't know why some people get 27 years and some get 95. But to live as Christ and to die as gain and maybe be faithful until he calls us home. Christian, don't long for retirement. Long for faithfulness. Don't long for retirement in this world and ease and comfort in this world. Long for the joys of heaven and pointing everything in your life to heaven. To our older saints here, praise God that you're here. Stay faithful. Don't drop out. People need you. We need saints that have gone before us to say faithful that we look to and say keep running the race until the Lord calls you home. Because to live is Christ, to die is gain. So church, as we encounter difficulties, guaranteed, guaranteed in life, don't be surprised, they're coming. They're going to keep coming. There's going to be more challenges than you can handle in this life. But don't be mistaken and think you can't walk with joy because your joy is not based on anything in this world, it's based on Jesus. Church, I pray that we be a joy-filled people. I pray that you'd look to your left and right of people in this room and be encouraged by their faith. I pray that we would inspire one another, encourage one another to stay faithful until Jesus brings us home. Some of you here today, if you examine your hearts and are honest with yourself, you don't taste very much joy in life. And it's because you're looking to the wrong place. Look to Jesus. That's the only place you're going to find joy in this life. And some of you here today, 
You've been chasing after the wind. You've been chasing after all sorts of things, and you're only going to find it in Christ. And I implore you, turn to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, He's paid the price to make a way. And I pray that you would come to Jesus. In church, I pray that we would continually find our hope and delight and joy in Him. Let me pray. God, you are good and you are gracious. <laughs> You're good beyond what our minds can comprehend. Lord, forgive us for trying to make this fallen, broken world be our home. We are sojourners. We're not here very long. This isn't our home. We're not going to find the type of rest and security we want in this world. We can only find it in you. So Lord, I know in this room, there's some who are struggling with this. And I can say that confidently because I struggle. Lord, I confess there's times I look to things of this world to provide what only you can. Lord, I confess that there's times that rivalry or ambition can pull my eyes off of you. But Lord, I confess, I know my soul longs to be faithful to the end. May we all desire that, and may we be a people that run faithful until you call us home, Lord Jesus. Whether that be today or 90 years from now, may we be faithful, declaring the gospel, encouraging believers, living in joy that only comes from Christ. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work through your word, as only your Holy Spirit can. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.